wonderful job this morning, Pastor Tony, musicians and these singers. What a wonderful job they have done today. They didn't entertain us. I mean, we, we enjoyed it, but it wasn't entertaining. What a wonderful job they have done today of taking us back to the foot of the cross, to the empty tomb, reminding us of the fact that Jesus is alive. Well, I'm glad today he's alive, aren't you? I want you to reach for your Bibles this morning as quick as you can and go to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, I'm going to read verses 17 and 18. You can turn in your Bible, you can turn on your iPad, iPod, iPhone, whatever you have that you have your Bible on. John chapter 19. I'm going to let you remain seated this morning. I'm going to read these two verses, verses 17 and 18. If you don't have a Bible, why don't you look over at your neighbor's Bible. And if your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, then that means they don't have one and you don't have one. You ought to bring your Bible to church. Thankfully, we've got the verses for you today, so we'll let you cheat this morning. Is that all right? If you found it, give me a good church amen. John 19, verses 17 and 18. And he, speaking of Jesus, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, or really it was Calvary, where they crucified him. Everybody say crucified. Crucified. Where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. I want to take just a few moments today if you'll permit me and allow me I want to speak to you on this thought the cross at Calvary the cross at Calvary father would you help us today as we preach the Word of God would you give us today revelation knowledge to understand and grasp and comprehend the power of the Word of God God, here's my prayer today as we preach about the cross, the most powerful symbol in all of Christianity. Would you let someone today see that in a way they've never seen it before? May they make a decision to give their hearts to you and establish a relationship with you before they leave this place today. And we love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. And God bless you this morning, Pastor Tony. Thank you. The cross is a very powerful symbol. Not only is it a very powerful symbol, but this time of the year, it's a very popular symbol. It is a symbol that we see displayed in churches. We see it displayed in people's yards. We wear it around our necks on necklaces. We, we display it many, many different places. And as we, as we think about the cross, I'm not sure that we really comprehend and grasp the enormity 
and the suffering that Jesus endured on that cross that day. As I was doing some studies some time back, I, I came across a report that had been written by a man named Dr. Keith Maxwell. Dr. Maxwell was an ER physician in a hospital emergency room in Asheville, North Carolina. One night, Dr. Maxwell sat down and he, he wrote out a description of what it possibly would have looked like had he been the one to have assessed the injuries in the body of Jesus after he had been crucified. If you'll just allow me for the next few moments, I want to give you some excerpts from that report that he wrote. It's important that you understand this morning that from the time that Jesus woke up until the time that he actually died on that cross, he was awake for 36 straight hours. No sleep, no rest. And prior to the events of the cross and Calvary unfolding, Jesus had gathered his disciples in an upper room and he had shared with them what became known as the Last Supper. During that meal, they traditionally drank from four different cups between that third and that fourth cup. Jesus instituted what we know today as communion as he took bread and he took wine. He blessed the bread, he broke it, he gave it, they drank from the cup and he told his disciples, as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you do it in remembrance of me. After they shared those moments together in that upper room, Jesus left with his disciples and they went to a garden called Gethsemane, which literally means the place of the press. He goes to that garden and he takes three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, deeper into that garden. As he gets to that place, he leaves them there and he presses on a little bit further, falls down on his knees in such anguish of soul and agony and sorrow. And he says to his father, God, Lord, I don't want to have to drink from this bitter cup I'm getting ready to have to drink from, referring to his death on the cross. I don't want to have to do this. But nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. And if you've read the description of that moment, the Bible tells us that as Jesus prayed in such anguish and agony that his sweat literally became as great drops of blood. <clears throat> in that moment, in that garden, Jesus experienced, Dr. Maxwell said, a medical phenomenon that has only been recorded in medical literature 12 to 14 times ever. And it's a... It's a medical phenomenon known as hematidrosis. And that is when the body literally exudes blood from the sweat glands. Hematidrosis happens only when there is agony and there is stress and there is such anguish in the physical body. And surrounding those sweat glands are these little capillaries. 
And when hematidrosis takes place, they rupture. And when they bust, it actually, it actually causes blood to go into the sweat gland so that when you sweat, it's not sweat like you and I know, but it's literally drops of blood that drip from the head of Jesus. As he's in the garden experiencing that, the religious leaders, chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, show up that night with some soldiers to arrest Jesus and to put him on trial. They lead him away and they, they put him on trial that night with all kind of false accusations. But there is one thing when Jesus finally did speak and there's one, one thing he did say when they asked, are you the son of God? It is, he said, as you say. And with that confession according to the religious leaders and the Sanhedrin, that 70-member governmental council, and it, according to their law and their tradition, that confession made him guilty and he could be punished by death. And here's the problem. They did not have the power. They did not have the authority to condemn him to death. So they had to take him to a higher court to get the death sentence before they lead him to the governor of Rome, Pontius Pilate. If you study the scripture out, you're going to see that they blindfolded him during that trial. They beat him in his face. They punched him. They smacked him. They spit upon him. Dr. Maxwell said that it's more than likely that when Jesus got to the, to the court of, of Pilate that night, that his eyes were already swollen shut from being beaten. His lip was bloodied. They said more than likely it's quite possible that when you punch a man with that kind of force that his, his teeth will actually, will actually bite down through his lip. So they lead him to the governor, Pilate. Pilate says, listen, he's not even part of my jurisdiction. I'm going to send him to, the king, to King Herod. Herod gets him, listens to him, sends him back, says, Pilate, I don't know what to do with him. And Pilate says to the <clears throat> religious leaders, what, what do you want me to do with him? I find that he's done nothing wrong. He's not guilty of anything. Pilate, yes, he confessed that he was the Messiah. He confessed that he was the Son of God. And in our law, that's punishable by death. Pilate said, listen, I, I don't see anything here. You're grasping at straws. And finally, the people are going to press and they're going to push. Pilate's going to buckle and break under the pressure. He is going to condemn Jesus to death on a cross. If you read through the gospel accounts, there's this almost this as an afterthought that we miss. And it says that after Pilate had condemned him to death, at first he had Jesus whipped or scourged. We read that and we go by that act like it's not a big deal, but it was a huge deal. Because when they would whip a man and beat a man back in that day, they would strip him completely naked. They would tie him by his wrist to a post or to a wall with his back fully exposed. Two Roman soldiers, one on each side, would take turns beating him across his back, his shoulders, his arms, across his buttocks, across his thighs, and even down to his calves and his feet. Those Roman soldiers held in their hands an 18-inch wooden-handled whip. On the end of that whip, there were nine leather straps. On the end of those nine leather straps, there were lead weights, almost like a sinker that you would use when you go fishing. 
On the end of that lead weight, there were sheep bone and there were cattle bone. And as they would stand on either side with, with one crack of their wrist, they would bring those nine leather straps with lead weights and cattle and sheep bone on the end all down onto the back of Jesus. That lead weight would lay into his back and the cattle and the sheep bone, the fragments of that bone would rip his skin away. Each laceration was probably two inches long and three quarters of an inch to an inch deep. And with one crack of their wrist, nine lacerations are laid on the back of Jesus. But according to custom and law and tradition, he received 39 lashes. If you do the math, there were 351 lacerations laid on the back of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Dr. Maxwell said that just one, one crack of the wrist and one soldier just laying those nine leather straps on his back would have opened up a wound that needed 180 stitches to close. You take 351 lacerations on his back and Dr. Maxwell said that more than likely when they opened the back of Jesus and they were done, he needed 2,000 stitches to close his back up. And the lead weight was on there for the purpose of of lifting that skeletal muscle out. And here's what they would do. When they hung Jesus on the cross during the heat of the day, the birds would come. And they would peck away and eat away at the open back and flesh of our Lord. And they would pull that muscle out of his back, almost like a robin pulling a worm out of the ground. So you cannot just read those words and Pilate had him whipped that doesn't give us the full meaning of what really happened. Several years ago, Mel Gibson directed and produced a film called The Passion of the Christ, and I, I appreciated that, but even, even that film did not do justice to what Jesus went through that day on the cross. After they beat him, they threw a robe on him. And the Bible says that they placed a crown of thorns on his head. We read that and we see the videos and we see the film, just think they took this little thing and pushed it on his head and these little drops of blood came down. Don't, don't mistake what happened there. That crown of thorns that had thorns on the end of that were, that were uh, one to, to two inches long, sharp as an ice pick, they said, was placed upon his head and those Roman soldiers would take a three to four foot long reed and would beat the top of that crown of thorns upon his head. He said that those thorns were so sharp that it actually dug into the outer bone of the skull. More than likely, they said that Jesus was bleeding from about 350 to 400 puncture wounds in his head that night. That's before the cross has ever happened. And after that is done, He's going to be delivered to be crucified. And we know from 
the study of, of, of Romans and their practices and their practice of crucifixion, that the cross usually came in two pieces. There was an upright beam that was already at the site where the crucifixion would take place. And then there was this cross beam that at best estimate they say probably weighed 125 to 150 pounds. Almost like a railroad tie, a cross tie. It was that piece of wood that was placed on the open, lacerated, bloody, torn up back of Jesus that he was forced to carry that day. And the Romans had perfected the art of crucifixion. I mean, they had studied it and they knew how to do it perfectly. I mean, how else can you have nails driven through your hands and driven through your feet and not bleed to death? Well, here's what the Romans had figured out. They had figured out there was a place in the middle of a man's wrist that you could drive a spike through, missing the arteries, missing the veins, and cause very little loss of blood. Here's what they had figured out, that when you would take a spike and you would drive it through a man's hand, there was no way that, that he could hold his weight up with his palm without that spike slipping through his hand and coming up through his fingers. And when you study the Hebrew word for hand, it means from the top of the fingers to the wrist where the watch is worn. Dr. Maxwell says it's an, it's, it's an established fact that there's no way that a human being can hold the weight of their body up with just their palms. It's not strong enough to do that. But Dr. Maxwell said there is this very strong ligament in the center of the wrist called the, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, the Traverse Carpal Ligament. And they would take those spikes and drive it through that ligament, and there was a median nerve, they called, called it, in that wrist. That when it was cut, that it, it felt like a, it gave the sensation of, of a, an electrical cattle prod being, being held to the wrist of the victim. And it would send this electrical shock through the, through, the, through the wrist and the hands. Not just one time, it was a continuous feeling the whole time they were on the cross. And it was so, so violent, it would cause the victim's hands to turn in and to claw. And when they were done doing that, after they took that, taken that cross beam and had fixed it to that upright beam that was laying down, they had laid him on there and had driven the spikes into his wrist. They also did the same thing with the feet. They had found a way that you could drive spikes through the victim's feet, miss the arteries and miss the veins, cause very little blood flow, and hit this thing called a planter nerve. And it would send the same electrical sensation and sock that was going through the hands also through the feet. The entire time he was on the cross, Dr. Maxwell said it's more than likely he experienced that electrical sensation coursing through his hands and his feet. They would bend the legs at a certain angle. They would put 
They set one foot on top of the other foot and drive the spike through the top of that first foot all the way down through the second foot and nail it to the cross. When they were done doing that, they would raise that cross up and there was a hole that had been dug for that cross and they would violently just force that into the ground. When they did, every part of the body of Jesus was just jolted. As the victim hung on the cross, the only way that the victim could exhale once he had drawn breath in, he had to pull himself up with his hands push himself up with his feet to let his breath out. And as he did that, that back that had already been laid open, that needed 2,000 stitches to close, would just rub against that splintered wooden cross. It would rub against the spikes and the bolts and the sharp objects that were coming out from that cross. So Jesus would breathe in, but to breathe out, he'd have to push himself up. And every time he did, that back would just rake against that cross. And he'd breathe out, and back down he would go again. Every time that he wanted to say something, every time he wanted to breathe, he had to do that to get his air. And we talk about the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross like he just said those, it wasn't a big deal. You know how much effort and energy he had to give out to even say those seven things, Gene Turpin? I'm watching some of you and you look a little uncomfortable. You should. He didn't have to do what he did. You know what, you know what drove him there and kept him on the cross? Listen, at any moment, the Son of God could have snapped his fingers and called for 10,000 of angels, James Hanks. They would have come at his beckoning call. But he didn't do that. You know why? Because he loved us too much to do that. He had to stay on the cross. And I want you to understand that, that crucifixion was not intended to kill its victim. Crucifixion was intended, intended to cause as much suffering and agony and pain upon the victim just before they would kill him by breaking his legs. Now, based on what I read in Scripture and prophecy, here's what I understand. Not one of the bones of Jesus was broken that day. However, the custom of the day was that when the Roman soldiers got tired of watching the victim on the cross go through the agony and the suffering, they just, it, was, it was a sport to them. They were brutal savages. Or if they had somewhere else to go, they would take this spear and they would swing it like a baseball bat against the sins of the victim. In doing so, they would break both the tibula and the fibula bone of the victim. And sometimes they said it would take five to ten minutes worth of swinging that spear to finally break the shin bones of the victim because those are some very strong bones that are not easily broken. That was the final act of crucifixion, what was known as crucifracture. And when they got to Jesus that day, he had already died. 
He had already yielded his spirit up to the Father. But when they got there that day, there's something that they did to him, the Bible tells us. They took this, this spear and they pierced him in his side between his ribs. And when they did that, they, they said that he, they, they stuck the spear in and then moved it up. And when they did, the medical perspective that I read said that more than likely when they stuck that spear in and moved it up, they punctured his heart. If you read the scripture, it tells us that when they stuck that spear in his side, that blood and water poured out. Physicians tell us that when blood and water mix together and come out of the body, that is a sign that the heart has busted. And here's the truth this morning. Jesus, in a very literal and spiritual sense, he died of a broken heart. I should try to come help me, please, land this thing. His heart literally busted because of the physical trauma that he had gone through. But I'm going to tell you something else that broke the heart of Jesus was your sin and my sin he had to take upon him. Pastor, we, we just came today to, you know, some of you came to do your families a favor. You came because your mama bugged you, your grandmother bugged you, you just got sick of hearing a bug, so you just came so they'd leave you alone. Some of you are here, to, here today to do your religious duty, and we probably won't, we may not see you again until Christmas. I hope that's not the case. That's, that's the truth. Regardless of why you're here, I'm thrilled you're here. This is my first Easter. I've been here five weeks. I almost said five years. Lord, it feels like it sometimes. <laughs> Not because of y'all. I've been here five weeks. It's my first Easter. Do you understand that, that Jesus <clears throat> never knew sin until the cross? Oh, he, he, he was human in many ways like we were. He got tired, he slept, he ate, he got thirsty. I mean, on the cross, you see the humanity of, the, of, of, of Jesus on the cross unveiled for us when he said, I, I thirst. But then you see his divinity when those men that have caused such agony and pain, and he says this, Father, forgive them. Who says that? Contrary to some of this doctrine that's out there today, Jesus never, ever sinned, ever. He was perfect. And there's this, message that's out there today that somehow he was involved in sin before while he walked on this earth. I mean, there's been some crazy stuff out there that he had an affair with Mary Magdalene. 
mean, there's even some propaganda out there that I've read that he was involved in a homosexual relationship with some of his disciples. Are you kidding me? Now, I don't know what you're accustomed to here at Easter, but listen, I'm not going to water this down. I get one shot at some of you. I'm going to give you the gospel right in your face today. And if you're uncomfortable, I love you, but I'm not sorry. Because I've got to go home tonight, Kenny Hancock, and pillow my head. And I've got to search my heart and make sure I've done what God's asked me to do. And when I stand before God one day, I don't want to ever hear him say, Now listen, you had an opportunity to preach the truth of the gospel and you didn't want to offend people. So you kind of watered it down a little bit just to make it feel good and feel warm and fuzzy. I, I'm not that kind of preacher. So I'm going to get in your face a little bit here. And I know there's probably some folks saying, Pastor, you know, we want these folks to come back next week and we want our church to grow. And we want this church to grow based on the fact that I preach the truth of the Word of God. I don't just make you feel good all the time. If Jesus wasn't perfect, the cross didn't work. And if Jesus wasn't perfect and he had, and he had sin and he ever done anything that, 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 that was wrong as far as sinning, the cross, listen, this is all a farce and we're wasting our time today. He had to be perfect because it took perfect blood to wash away all of our sin and our mess. song that I'm closing there's a song that was written one time and I'm going to spare you because I don't sing so I'll just quote the verses for you it's been said with pretty flowers shining diamond rings a band of gold a string of pearls a million different things but to find a greater token of love, I'm at a loss. These treasures rare cannot compare to the old rugged cross. And the course said, I'm dying to tell you I love you. I'm dying to bring you life anew. Jesus died to tell you that he loves you. simply wants to remind us today the Father loves us with such an everlasting amazing love that he willingly laid his life down so that we could live spirit this morning witnesses in this place through this New Testament principle that we've just experienced here and he says I love you tell you this about the cross and I'm going to invite you to stand with me <clears throat> I understand it's Easter and you've got family things planned and I understand what time it is and I'm not going to keep you long I promise unless you have to leave you'll just hang with me the next five or ten, ten minutes or so and then we'll, we'll be dismissed 
This cross, the cross of Calvary, is a demonstration. It is the greatest demonstration of God's love toward mankind that you'll ever experience. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love in this way toward us, and while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Do you understand that while you were, and by the way, I just want to let every one of you know in this place that we were, we were all sinners. We all had missed the mark. Listen, and there's some of you in here today, you may not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, we are and were all sinners. You were born into sin. I don't care how saved your mama was, your daddy was, your, I don't care if you're a fourth generation church of God person or Baptist or Methodist, whatever you are, you were born into sin and you needed a savior. And this cross is the greatest demonstration of love that while we were still in our state of sin, you think Jesus knew we were gonna be sinners and messed up? Sure he did, and you know what he did? He demonstrated his love by dying on the cross anyway. It is the greatest demonstration of love you'll ever find. It is the greatest definition of sacrifice that you will ever experience. Somebody had to die so that you and I wouldn't have to die spiritually, Brother Beckner. The Bible said that if the, without the shedding of blood, our sins can't be forgiven. And even though the Romans had, had, had perfected the art and they could keep a man from bleeding to death, make no mistake about it, Jesus shed his blood that day on that cross. Pastor, we thought the gospel message was pretty and it was neat. It was packaged so wonderfully and it makes us feel good. Pastor, what you've said today, it makes us a little bit uncomfortable. It should because he suffered horribly for you and me. It's the greatest definition of sacrifice. And here's the last thing I want to tell you. It forces you to make a decision today about where you stand in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because here's, you have one of two choices today. You can hear what I have laid out for you and you can say, Pastor, that's really good and that touches my heart and I didn't realize it was so bad. But if that's all that you do and you walk out of this auditorium this morning and you don't make a decision about your relationship with Christ if you don't have one, you've missed the point of this moment today. It forces you to make a decision. And some of you possibly, you've heard this message many times. You said, maybe next time, Pastor. I've been here at Easter. I've been here at Christmas. It's a great church, great people. But, you know, I'll come back next time. And maybe then, I'm telling you, Today is a day that you must decide either you're going to have a relationship with him or you're not. You cannot keep putting it off. I'm telling you, I don't use scare tactics. I'm not one of those guys that's going to try to scare you into, into salvation. But I'm telling you, time is short. You are not promised drawing your next breath. And what if today, before the clock strikes midnight, what if you were to draw your last breath and die? Where would you spend eternity? I'm telling you, if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've not accepted the work that he did on the cross, you will die lost and undone and alienated from God in a place called hell. That's not my rules. That's what the word of the Lord tells us. But I'm telling you, every person, listen to me, I'm closing, I promise. That's my second closing. Every person that dies without Jesus. God does never, he, God never sends anybody to hell, never. 
I heard people say, how could God be so loving and kind and so wonderful? How could he send people to help? He doesn't. Every person that has ever ended up in hell, they have stepped over the cross to get there. It's there. It's there. I want to tell you, listen to me. Pastor, you don't know. God, I feel the Holy Ghost on Easter Sunday. Pastor, you don't know what walk of life I'm from. You don't know the kind of life I've lived. You don't know how. It doesn't matter when you come to the foot of the cross. It is all level. There's no big eyes. There's no little U's. Red and yellow, black and white. Every single one of us are precious in his sight. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. Jesus died to say, I love you. And he wants you to embrace the cross today and experience that love. I want you to stand quickly this morning. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a brief moment, please. Quick as you can. Quick as you can. I want you to consider today. Heads bowed, eyes closed, please. Just for a moment, just you and God right here. I won't do every altar call like this, but today I feel like you just.